Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle, creator of the Teenage Personality Quiz. Head to TalkingToTeens.com for a free PDF explaining how your teenager thinks. We're here today with Amy Cooper Hakim. She is the author of the book Working with Difficult People, Handling the 10 Types of Problem People Without Losing Your Mind. Dr. Hakim has a PhD in Industrial Organizational Psychology. She is the founder of the Cooper Strategic Group. She helps employees and employers to get along better, and she coaches leaders and employees to improve productivity, morale, satisfaction, and overall work-life balance. We are so excited to speak with Dr. Hakeem today about ideas from her book, Working with Difficult People, How to Work with Difficult Teenagers in Your Life, and some tips and insights about dealing with the coronavirus and being quarantined together with your teenagers. So excited to get into all of that and a whole lot more. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. So, okay, I just finished reading this book, Working with Difficult People, Handling the Ten Types of Problem People Without Losing Your Mind. And it's even more than 10 because you have like 10 genres of people. And then within each one of those, you you break down sub types of people that could you could encounter within each of those. So it's really detailed and it's really cool. I wonder how you developed this framework and how you came up with all of this wisdom and what inspired you to put it all into a book. So I'm an industrial organizational psychology practitioner. In plain language, I help employees and employers get along better. And my grandmother was a management consultant and actually a mentor of mine. And she wrote the first version of this book. She encouraged me to go into the field and I loved working with her and I helped her with her (laughs) first index for this particular book many, many years ago. The first version was, gosh, over 25, 26 years ago now. And I realized that this book was still selling and had so many valuable points and considerations, yet it was lacking some of the modern verbiage, modern jargon. Um, And so I approached the book publisher and asked if I might revise it. So I was able to revise and modernize something that meant a lot to my grandmother and able to, you know, contribute to her legacy while helping society. So a lot of the strategies in this book center around how to figure out like the the right questions to ask people and how to 
yeah, kind of put on your like investigator hat and instead of getting like caught up in this conflict and going along with it and letting it kind of sweep you into maybe an argument or a fight of some kind, just kind of being a little more dispassionate and examining it and, you know, questioning the person to figure out exactly what's going on and getting it out in the open. Sure. And yet the the idea of, you know, applying logic and trying to take emotion out of difficult relationships is something that is, you know, it, it runs the, the course of time. Uh, because when we're able to not react due to emotion, but step back and say, how might I get what I want and need from this person? What is this person's angle? And apply from a bit of a more logical or pragmatic stance, then we're able to move that relationship forward. But using logic uh, to dictate our actions instead of necessarily jumping from an emotional standpoint is something that I really encourage uh, people of all ages you know, to, to try to do. And it's harder to do than we think uh, because we are emotionally invested in much of our daily interactions. So I try to first off define the type of person and, and the relationship specifically. Uh, you might have a narcissistic boss. Uh, you might have a narcissistic colleague or a narcissistic subordinate, so someone who works for you. And the reality is that that person displays similar tendencies, but the way he or she acts is different based on his relationship to you. And so recognizing that, recognizing how that person's thinking and what you're probably thinking about that person, and then devising a strategy to get what you want and need from that individual. And then I also include different talking points. Uh, and obviously they would be changed based on the scenario, but the idea is here's some language that you could put in your back pocket uh, and pull it out when you need. And ideally even practice. You know, set up your smartphone and, and practice role play if you can with someone else or even just by yourself, record yourself speaking and, and look at your body language and, and see how, you know, if you're actually having a direct gaze, if you're appearing to have a smirk, whatever it is so that you can refine your delivery and better deliver when you are in person. Yeah, I thought it was cool how you break everything down to you know, if you have a boss who's doing this, if you have colleagues who are doing this, or if you have subordinates who are doing this. And, you know, the, the name of the conversation here is talking to teens. So mm -hmm. we definitely focus on parents. And I noticed a lot of things in the subordinate sections and in the colleagues sections that I was like, oh, yeah, these would apply to parents. But then I also felt like the stuff in the bosses sections would be really helpful for teenagers dealing with adults in their lives, you know. 100%. Yes. I mean, it's easy to apply some of these challenges. And in the when I go into the workplace and I talk to a boss, a lot of times I say, you have to remember that you might speak to your child this way. And that would be the way that, you know, an employee might feel in relation to a boss in certain relationships. And so similarly, if, if a child wants to better understand how, you know, his or her parent might behave, looking at the boss qualities might help us to say, okay, well, this may be how my parent would act. There's a lady that we talked to, Jane Nelson, who had this whole system for dealing with the unmet needs that kids have. And, you know, she said there's like multiple different different ones that kids can have. But one of them was revenge. You know, a kid who's like 
feels like you've wronged them and is trying to get back at you. So it struck me you have one in here called Revengers, but you had some really great points in here. So I wonder, like, for parents, especially if you're, you know, got a kid who's like kind of seems like they're trying to get back at you a little bit, you know, for uh, disciplining them or whatever. Um, how mm-hmm. how would this revenge uh, revenge thing maybe look in that situation? Well, if you if you know that um, a child is trying to <laughs> trying to um, act in that way, then the key is to set boundaries. I think that many children just need boundaries. And when they understand that certain behavior is not allowed, not permitted, and that there will be consequences, then a lot of times we can nip some of that in the bud. I think that parents in today's society try so hard to be friends with their kids instead of truly serving in that parental role. And I think that when we're able to say, I love you and care for you, And in order to do so, I need to protect you. And sometimes we're going to do things that you may not agree with or like. And if you do not behave appropriately, there will be consequences. And we have to have that firm love. So we still have the love and we're able to support. But we need to be direct and firm in our approach and stand toward what we say. So if we actually say that there will be this consequence and that consequence needs to happen, even if (laughs) the kid whimpers or apologizes profusely, the key is to make sure that, okay, thank you for that apology. Thank you for recognizing this is not the right behavior. This is still going to be the consequence and hopefully it won't happen again. Mm, Yeah, right. Not like caving in to their uh, behaviors and going back on the consequence or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I see that so often. I, I, parents are just so into being, you know, besties with their kids. And while I love, I have three kids, <laughs> yeah. I love spending time with them. I love it, but I'm the parent. And they need to know that to some degree. And when, when children pass the teenage years and get into adulthood, I think there is a transition that sure. happens uh, where we feel more like we are friends with our parents. And ultimately, we take care of our parents as they grow older. And so I think that we'll see that transition throughout the life cycle. But at the stage of teenagehood, when you've got um, you know, children who may, who may act in ways that are completely inappropriate and want to see a reaction, uh, that's when we need to to let them know, you know, here are the here are the rules, and and here's what you're permitted to do, and here's what you're not permitted to do. And it's funny, given today's well, not funny, but ironic, given what's going on in the world right now uh, with you know coronavirus and um, these requests for social distancing. I've I've seen a number of videos online where uh, parents have said that their kids are bored. And their kids say, oh, well, we're not going to be the ones who will be negatively impacted by this virus. So, so and so is going out. This person's having a play date. Can't I? Yeah, and, right. and it's, it's, and so, so you hear these parents. Um, I actually watched a video of someone from Italy who said, you know, that she let her kids go out. And in retrospect, she shouldn't have because it wasn't the right thing to do. And she caved. And I was thinking, you know, my kids, so I live in Florida. And my kids are now in this, uh, we're, we're home for social distancing. Yeah. And my kids actually, each of them, I have a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 9-year-old. And each of them had requests for play dates from parents. So the parents said, um, you know, 
does so-and-so want to go out? Is, are you letting them have get together? Um, kids are at the mall and at the beach. And, and, um, and we said no. And so our kids were not they thrilled. Didn't love that, us, I'm sure. But they understood. But they understood. <laughs> but they understood. Yeah. And I think that I think that that's the key. And you know, you can explain yourself or not. You know, in a case where a child is behaving out, outwardly, you know, we we're talking about revenge, outwardly doing something vengeful, then you need to say this is inappropriate, and here's why. But there are some things that might deal with safety, or something that might be beyond the. Uh, capacity of a teenage mind where you still would say, you may not understand this, but this is the reason. Yeah, right. Or I don't even need to give you a reason. I'm your parent. I think we should reserve those. I don't need to give you a reason. I'm the parent for <laughs> select situations, especially as kids get older, because they want to know and they want us to be sincere in the way that we approach them. They don't want us to try to sugarcoat or, you know, pull the wool over their eyes. They'd rather it be legit. And, um, I, I also feel like it's so important to be truthful. So even if we don't choose to share the full truth due to a maturity issue or, you know, only want to share information on a need-to-know basis sure. kind of thing, make sure that the message that you do share is truthful. Another one I loved in here is bootlickers. So these mm -hmm. are people who really like to get your attention and win your support. They cling like parasites. They're not lazy or helpless, but they are manipulative. Yeah, and I, I think especially in family type settings, you're going you might have a, a kid or two who you know try to <laughs> try to do this to get your attention, and um, they they just always are gonna say what you want them to say, even if it's not necessarily the truth. Mm. We want to really discourage this, this type of behavior because it truly is manipulative. And this gets back to the, you know, the way that, you know, kids try to take advantage of their parents and manipulate them right. by, by saying what they want you to learn hear what you need to say, knowing that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, get yeah. the results you want. And of course, in the business world, you need to tell me mm -hmm. if there's something that you have, uh, you know, negative feedback. You don't just tell me what I want to hear and the good things. Like our bottom line is going to suffer if we can't be honest and if you won't just be yes. open with me. And so, and we have to be honest and we have to expect that candor. We also, though, have to teach and reinforce the importance of tact. Mm. We can, uh, you know, we need not share every piece, always be as, right. as honest, you know. <laughs> I talk to my clients about, and as a female, I'm allowed to give this example, but let's say that I come and I have this amazing dress that I'm super excited about, and I show my spouse, and I say, oh, you know, how do you like this? And he says, oh, you look beautiful, but I really look horrific. I don't want him to say I look beautiful because if I – don't look good, then I will feel badly when I'm out in public. If, if it's see-through and I didn't know, okay? yeah, give that right, as an example. Right. Ah, but what if he says, oh, you look so beautiful because that's the answer that he thinks I want to hear. Well, that doesn't help us. But w it, the issue is what if we're about to go to an event and we are three minutes out the door? 
then is that the appropriate time to offer? Uh, <laughs> right. So we have to, we have to, it's not just as black and white and cut and dry as one might imagine, but it's not always appropriate to give every piece of advice all the time, every unsolicited opinion, but it is important to learn when to share what. And sometimes we can say something that we need not share and it can actually really be very, very hurtful to the other person. But what if it's something that we need to do in order to move us forward? So I think we have to learn. I think that's part of the um, element of tact that children and adults learn to um, use when appropriate. And I think that, you know, even asking, do you really want my truthful opinion here? <laughs> Um, can help sure. because, you know, if the boss or the parent or the child says, you know what, actually, I just really need you to be supportive right now. Uh, that's different than I really want to hear your thoughts on. Mm -hmm. If you see boot licking in your family from your kids, maybe that's a symptom that you don't have quite an open kind of a mm -hmm. culture in your family and that maybe you should. It very, very well could be. And I think that, um, you know, something that I always encourage people I'm coaching is to really, again, look at themselves uh, because we oftentimes are setting that stage uh, for the behavior yeah. that comes from others. So oftentimes people mirror the way that we are. The most popular search term that people find our website on Google is defiant teenagers. How mm. do you handle defiant teenagers? So, um, so this is definitely a hot issue for our listeners. And you have a type in here called defiers, insubordinate and disrespectfully oppose established policy. <laughs> so, uh, what's going on with defiance and what is the response? Well, when, you know, when someone is defiant, they, they literally do not want to follow rules and they will let you know so <laughs> and they um, do not do not behave appropriately. And, and it could be based on lack of consequence, lack of respect for the parent or the institution. Uh, and it really gets down to having a frank conversation, setting boundaries and if necessary, involving uh, you know, perhaps a therapist or an outside um, family member or friend to come in and help navigate uh, why there is that disconnect and what to do about it. But if that um, teenager is permitted to behave and to continue to behave that way mm. and there are no consequences, then it doesn't, it doesn't make it go away. It, it exacerbates the situation. Right. So something happens once. OK, something happens two times or five times. It becomes the norm. And then parents and children get into this rut where they can't get out. And that that's just not it's not healthy. And something has to break the cycle. And um, it shouldn't it shouldn't be that, you know, the parent or the child breaks it down or withdraws. It needs to be that there is open communication. Uh, that's one of the things you had in here, actually, one of the uh, strategies is let defiant workers get the gripes off their chests. I think that's really savvy because there's something going on uh, that if you're, if you're just defying everything and, you know, completely just opposing everything that I say, uh, what's up? Like there's some sort of, they want to be heard somehow, they have a grievance and you're not going to solve the problem by just using more force and trying to shut them down. You know, you need to draw it out and you need to get it out in the open so that you can talk about it. 
Sure, and when you have that dialogue, then you're able to to get to the root of it. And it may be, you know, this isn't going to work. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get what you want. Sorry. Or it may be, oh, gosh, you know what, I think if we make this little tweak, it could make a big difference and, and have, um, you know, especially we're, we're not dealing with, you know, my book is, is focused on, you know, employees, employers, subordinates. Uh, but But when we're dealing with parents and children these are your family i mean you can leave a job you can't fire your kids <laughs> yeah. right you can't fire your kids and so recognizing that and i think it makes the stakes even higher right yeah, we want right. to we want to make sure that we that we set the tone and that we recognize when we make a mistake and and as parents we fix it you know, I think that that's something that I've learned from my husband being married 20-something years now. Uh, he's very he's very good at apologizing, but sincerely. And I really applaud that because I, I don't know if I would be as eager to say, oh, sorry, I messed up here. Uh, I mean, he doesn't go overboard with it. But if, if there's a legitimate issue where, you know, he makes a mistake, he's able to say, you know, I didn't mean it that way. And I apologize that it came off in that mm-hmm. manner. And, you know, I, it won't happen again. And the fact that he can do that and openly share, you know, hey, even to the kids, I, I messed up here. I think that that it speaks volumes because then they're able to do so. And uh, and we have we've seen that, you know, parents have come to me and said that my kids will, you know, just on their own say, hey, I didn't I didn't mean for that to come off that way if it did. And I think too few of us are able to do that. Given this situation that we're in in the world right now, that for families who find themselves uh, trapped in a uh, in a tight place with their kids or with their teenagers, and any opportunities to like use this as a positive thing or any um, things to look out for uh, as you kind of uh, uh, try to navigate these trying times or any words of uh, encouragement or wisdom? Sure. I mean, you know, I I personally, first off, am devastated that we're at this place as a society where we need to, um, you know, isolate and self-quarantine. But personally, I I'm sort of excited about having that special time with my family. I have a personal goal of, of sleep. I love to sleep. <laughs> and the fact the fact that we don't have to get up to drive to school, uh, you know, I'm going to get an extra 30, 45 minutes, even with school starting at the same time virtually. So I have made it a goal to have eight hours of sleep most nights. <laughs> we'll see if it happens. But, but that is that's something that I want to do for myself. So self-care, self-care. is something that hopefully you can – bump up a little bit and encourage your kids. You know, I mean, I um, I was thinking there are different things we can do depending on, on where, you know, your community or our country is, you know, holding at the time, but we're still permitted to walk outside. Uh, so I was thinking how beautiful it might be to go on a family walk or to even personally just go out and, and have get some fresh air. So make sure that you do uh, things to help yourself to feel just comfortable and make sure that you know that you're taking care of yourself, however that looks. Um, But even cooking family dinners, you know, we're going to assign our kids different roles. You know, some Uh. of them enjoy 
right? Some of them enjoy different things. So one likes to cook and one prefers, as we've spoken earlier, to clean. Yeah, <laughs> so we've got that, we go. that going on. Match oh, yeah. made in but, but, and then I have another one who loves to use Windex. So eventually we're going to have to be cleaning <laughs> up more so, right? So, so we've got the whole package. And so, but I think, you know, instituting something like a family game night yeah. or watching a movie together, you know, having, having that together time, but also permitting yourself to have alone time. Depending on the ages of kids in your household, it can be very noisy and it can be very overwhelming. So make sure that you take time for yourself, but make sure that you also set some, even a schedule. You know, we're going to have lunch together every day at this time or, um, you know, something that so that the kids are excited to have something different. And also, if there is bickering in your house. You know, you can talk about how that's normal, too, and it's important to have a little bit of space sometimes. And so even establishing a code word, uh, you know, if you if you really need your own space, instead of getting upset, just either walk away or say Google or I don't know, whatever it is. And then that's your word. And then you know that you can uh, take it, take a breather. You know, I happen to be very clean. I take two showers a day because that is the only time when no one talks to me. Yeah. I have my privacy and I say, I'm going to take a shower. And my husband knows that that means I need a break from whatever chaos. Yeah. I just need five minutes off. And so that might be, I mean, not that we should be wasting water, but whatever it is, sure. whatever someone needs, yeah, yeah. you know, establish that and recognize it and then grant them that. Um, and know that we don't have to be perfect. I think so many parents are worried about, you know, keeping up with their kids' academics and everything. Everybody's going to fall behind. And the reality is that what we can learn from everyday experiences is also very important. And if we can enhance our communication and our collaboration and, you know, work on those skills, I think not to, not to say that academics aren't important as well, but I think that those types of, of interactions and even playing a game of Monopoly um, you know, there are things we can do where we use our skills and we, you know, interact and communicate. I think we can grow in different ways and just, you know, use it as, an, as a time and a special opportunity to do things that we always claim we don't have time for. Now yeah, we do. Right. Now you're forced to. And it, it's like um, it's one of those things like uh, that is so such a strange thing that, you know, you'll never forget it. And um, I always think those kinds of opportunities are, uh, you know, whatever you kind of uh, end up doing during this time is going to be something that, you know, your kids will remember, that you'll remember. It'll be kind of seared in there just because it's so, uh, it's such a memorable thing. It's such a a crazy thing, uh, the time the world shut down. And I think we should also remember, by the way, we should reinforce that, uh, you know, this is something that we're doing for our community. Hopefully everyone within, you know, everyone's household is healthy, but I mean, perhaps someone may be ill or have a, a version of the coronavirus, but more likely uh, the people listening to your podcast are those who are behaving in this way to protect the elders in the community and the, the people who are maybe more vulnerable. And I think that that's a really important lesson about social uh... responsibility that we need to emphasize to our kids. Because in the, in today's world where we have the iPhone and the iPad and we're all about me, 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 
um, you know, we're not doing that now. We're saying we're going to step back for our grandparents and for the people in our community who may not be able to care for themselves. And I think that that's such an important lesson that, um, that our kids see that we do so not only willingly, but almost with joy because we are able to give back to those who, you know, help to make this country as great as it is. We're here with Amy Cooper Hakeem talking about her book, Working with Difficult People, and about the coronavirus quarantine. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. We live in this era where everyone feels entitled. And when we're in this age of entitlement, I think people feel that the rules may not apply to them. You can't necessarily decide, I'm going to be able to navigate this relationship well because you don't know what to expect. The person just erupts with anger. Yeah, I mean, again, that that could get to the the issue of, you know, why is this person doing this? What kind of attention do yeah. they possibly need? Well, let's let's give them something, you know, so they don't they don't have to resort to that. You know, some kids may just be more mischievous, <laughs> um, and that's that's not a bad thing. But you know, it should be in its proper place. But I do think a lot of it really relates to just attention or attention seeking behavior. Well, also, it seems like, man, there's not as much excitement if you're trapped in your house all day. So you might just like see some of these behaviors start to crop up during the quarantine phase here. And then you have to find yeah. ways to like help the kids satisfy that need for some mischief or need for some excitement in more of like a productive way. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.